like you to um, uh, turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, but uh, I'm kind of going to trick you there because that's not where we're going to start off. That's where we will uh, end up. Um, <clears throat> we have been studying the church here and the mission of the church in particular. We've l- looked at the pictures of the church that are in the New Testament, and now we're looking at the, uh, the, the mission of the church. And uh, we looked last week at the first part of the phase of the mission of the church, which is evangelization. The second part is establishment. And the third is entrusting to other leaders. And so uh, that needs to be in our minds here as we, as we study the mission of the church. Um, but we looked last week at that first part, evangelization. And um, we saw that uh, in Colossians chapter 4... That Paul asked for the church at Colossae to participate in the global expansion of the mission of God. The global expansion of the gospel. And he asked that they pray for him. That he pray for two things. Pray for an open door. And secondly, to pray that, uh, that he be able to have a clear presentation of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he asked to participate in global mission. But then he brings it back home, and he wants them to participate at the local level. He wants them to participate in their ordinary lives with gospel intentionality. And so Paul brings out to them uh, that they are to participate in mission locally through deed and word. And so he says in verse 5 of Colossians 4, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, toward the unbelieving world, redeeming or buying back the time. So walk in wisdom. That word walk means uh, to, to live uh, wisely toward them that are without. Okay, so there's supposed to be a life, a Christian life, that is like the soil, spreads fertile soil for the gospel seed to be planted and grow in other lives. But then he just doesn't leave it there because he goes to their speech. And he tells them to have wise speech. He says in verse 6, let your speech out of this life, the life of Christ, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So what Paul is saying here is as your life is opportunities here to speak of Christ, do it in these ways. He says, first of all, have wise speech that is gracious. It's gracious. It's not harsh, it's gracious. Have wise speech that is flavor enhanced. The word of God is, is throughout it. It is, it is saturating it. Uh, it is salt and light. And also he says to have wise speech that is tailored. Notice he says that you may know how you ought to answer each or every man. We'll all have different opportunities, different people. And so I gave a little framework uh, last week here uh, of, of what that could uh, uh, be, be in, in your lives. And I shared with you that everybody has a gospel story, a good news story. It's either a false gospel or it's the true gospel. And everybody has a, a creation, fall, redemption, and new creation part of their life. They have an idea of, 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 of what made them who they are, creation. They have an idea of what is getting in their way of who they want to be, the fall. And they have an idea of what will uh, redeem them, uh, what will be their savior, what will rescue them and, and restore everything, the new creation, to what it needs to be, uh, redemption. 
We know the true gospel story. And so as we listen to people's stories and, 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 and their lives, that gives us um, uh, opportunities to speak into the cracks of their souls where those stories have not delivered for them. And we can show the true and better, the only true uh, gospel story of Jesus Christ, where God has created us in His image to love and walk in fellowship with Him and to love others. But because of sin, we chose to go our own way. And because of that, God has, 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 has put a divide between us and Him. And sin has blocked the way. And that bridge has been uh, crumbled away between us and God. And, and we are now facing an eternity without Him and life on this earth without Him. But God in His mercy and kindness, not because uh, uh, it was anything we deserve, but because He loved us, He sent His Son into this world, and He, re- he built that eternal bridge of Jesus Christ, the bridge that gap ca- ca- between sinful man and a holy God, and it's the work of finished, uh, a work of finished Christ that we can walk over, and that we can uh, be, be uh, delivered into relationship with God. That's, re- that's the true redemption. And then he promises when he returns to restore the world to how it was originally and even better. But I kind of didn't give you enough information here. Because there are four truths. As you speak graciously, as you speak well-seasoned words, and as you tailor the message, not the meaning of the message, but tailor to fit uh, so, so folks can understand it you need to understand four truths here that I think will be helpful for you to be able to deliver the hope that you have within you and they are here God is great so you don't have to be in control you have people who are writing their own stories thinking everything depends on them and depends on their accomplishments depends on their successes and we need to remind people that in the creation story it is God that is great and He delivers us into His life, a life where He's in control. The second truth, four G's, I've shared these before, but God is glorious. He is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. You see, there are people whose stories, and their good news stories, are all based on the approval of others. They need to have this item, or they need to perform in this way, and their lives are in bondage to that. And we can present the gospel and say, God is glorious, and we don't need to fear others. He has entered up, uh, delivered to us the gospel message, the good news, hope, and because of that, He's the one we fear and love. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. Thirdly, God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. We don't have to look at that another plate of food to find satisfaction for our souls. Or that next drink. Or that next uh, electronic item. Or that new relationship. Or whatever it might be. Those are all wonderful gifts. But we look to the giver for hope. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. And the fourth truth, and these are certainly aren't all-encompassing, but they certainly contain a, a large body of truth in the Christian faith, is God is gracious so we don't have to prove ourselves. Americans seem to be so bad on success, right? Proving ourselves in front of other people. Or uh, uh, proving ourselves uh, to that father who always looked down on us and we were never good enough for 
But the gospel delivers us into the relationship with the eternal Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. And God is gracious. He is gracious. He gives us what we don't deserve. And we don't have to live our lives proving ourselves because Jesus Christ proved it all on the cross. And so those are our our, our four statements of truth that perhaps as you listen to their gospel stories, their, 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 their good news stories of what they think is giving them good news, that you can present the true and better gospel, the, the, the real gospel, and four truths here that can be entry points into and sharing the gospel um, with your speech. But this morning we want to focus on that second part of Jesus' program after evangelism, establishing people in the faith. Establishing people in the faith. Establishing congregations in the faith. And what I'd like to do this morning is, uh, in, in the first part here, is to help us understand how this was such a part of Paul's pattern, that it must be a part of the church today. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, uh, Paul, we looked at a couple weeks ago, we looked at the church as a household of God. Paul says he has a special stewardship. He has a, a, a job that has been given to him as one of the apostles of the church. And the job was this, that he should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And secondly, that he helps all those who he comes in contact see what is the plan of God in the church. Fellowship of the mystery. Now, is Paul just using words here? Is this just something he says, I got to do? Or is this something he actually does? And I want to tell you, as you look in the book of Acts, and you look in his letters, that this is something that Paul was absolutely sold out for. It was his practice, it was his pattern, as well as what he believed. So what I'd like you to do is flip over to Acts chapter 14, we're just going to give a quick survey here. There's a word in the New Testament. It is a word from where we get strengthened. It is a word from where we get established. And it is the word sterizo. It's a Greek word. And that's what it means. To strengthen. To establish. Some of you, when you've had job training, uh, when you started out, you did not know what was expected of you. And you did not know how to do it either. Some of you knew what was expected of you, but you didn't know how to do it. And so they provided, hopefully, someone along the job to train you. You had to go through classes or training. And, uh, and so it is with the church. God has given us the goal to be conformed to the image of Christ. They see His glory in His church. But He has given us tools along the way to do that. To be established, to be strengthened. And that's the word I want to look at this morning. Here, establishment or strengthened. So in Acts chapter 14, uh, Paul has gone out on his first missionary journey. And he is going to return, drop by some of the places that he's already been able to evangelize and seeing disciples come to Christ. And he's going to do something there with those disciples. And Luke, very intently, for the purpose of having us understand this principle, includes what he did in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. Verse 21 says, They returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, and notice that next word, confirming the souls of the disciples. That word confirming is the word for strengthening, establishing the souls of the disciples, and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Okay? 
So, strengthening was that second part here of the mission of the church to establish, to build up, to strengthen. If you go with me to the next chapter, chapter 15, verse 36, through 16, verse 5, um, Paul has been at, at his home church in Antioch, and he's told everybody what has gone on in his mission. And then he says to Barnabas, let's go and visit these people again and see how they're doing. And verse 36, see how they do. He's going to assess. Now, I'm going to have a little um, a disagreement. Uh, Paul wants to take, uh, Paul does not want to take John Mark. Barnabas says, yes, we should. And God uses that to split them apart and expand his mission even further. Barnabas goes to Cyprus. In verse 40, Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Verse 41, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. That's the word again. That's the word again that has to do with establishing, strengthening. And there he comes to Derby and Lystra, and he, this is where he brings Timothy under his wing. And verse 5 of Acts chapter 16 says, And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. It's part of the mission of the church. Okay? Go over to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Verse 22. At Caesarea in Antioch goes... Verse 23 says, And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. It's the same word there. Established, strengthened, confirmed. It's translated in other places. I wish the translators would have kind of translated it consistently as strengthened or established uh, here, but that's the same word. They were established, strengthening all the disciples. You see how important it was. That was in his practice. Now, what I want to suggest to you is that the letters that Paul writes then are tools for the establishment of the church. He writes these letters to establish the church. He writes them for specific things that they're struggling with because he doesn't want them floundering. He says in Ephesians, uh, he doesn't want people tossed by every wind of doctrine, like a, like a, like a ship in a, in a storm. He wants them anchored to the truth, and so he establishes them. And so if you turn with me to Romans chapter 1, one of his earliest letters he writes, he tells why he is writing to Romans. Romans is a long treatise on the gospel, the most full treatise on the gospel that we have in one letter here in our, in our New Testament. Good news of Jesus. And in verse 11, Paul says, For I long to see you, Romans 1.11, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end or for the goal that you may be established. That's why I'm writing this. So that you are established. You're strengthened in your walk. Now if you go to the last chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 16, Romans 1 says, I want to impart my gift because it's a purpose of establishing you. And at, at the end, after he talks about the gospel throughout the whole book, using his gift to explain and teach and exhort, Romans 16, verses 25 and 27, he says this, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. 
establishing, establishing. That's what Paul's burden was. You can see it in 1 Thessalonians 3. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses uh, 1 through 13, uh, Paul again tells his burden for the church in Thessalonica, which is the city today of Salonica, Greece. And Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 2. It says, And said Timotheus, that's that Timothy that he brought alongside of him in Acts 16, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and the comfort you concerning your faith. He sent Timothy to, to continue in that task. It was important to him. And so we can say in verse 8, here's why it's important to establish you. Verse 8, for now we live in east, stand fast in the Lord. He's, Paul says, this is my uh, uh, goal in life, to see you stand fast. To see you uh, anchored in the truth. And get a charge out of that, he says. If you stand fast in the Lord. And then verse 10, he says, When I can't be there, this is what I'm doing. Night and day, I'm praying, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. See, the idea of establishing. And later in verse 13, To the end, that he may establish your hearts on blameable and holiness before God our Father. Important in Paul's process. If you go over to the next book, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 17, Paul says something very similar. He says, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. There again is words and life. So much so that in the last letters that he writes to some key leaders, such as Titus, he says this to Titus in Titus chapter 1, verse 5. For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting or lacking, and are being elders in every city as I appointed thee. The things that were lacking, the things that were not established, that's why Paul sent Titus. And then, as he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 14-16, he writes, verse 15 says, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. He writes, so they are established in their conduct in the church. So it was very important to Paul. Uh, it was a charge. It was one of the last things that he tells the elders in Ephesus uh, in Acts chapter 20. and verse 28, as Paul is about to leave a place that he has worked very hard to establish believers in, and has built up an eldership, a, a, a group of trained leaders, pastors in that church, in Acts chapter 20, Verse 28, Paul says this to these elders. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Establish them. Why? Because he says there's going to be false teachers who are going to come in like wolves and tear them apart if they're not established. And so back to our foundational text here. We read this morning here about how Paul was telling the Colossians uh, that the gospel, uh, that they that they heard of it, uh, that they heard and, and accepted. Um, Paul wants that gospel and, and Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 5, where have you heard before in the word of the gospel, the hope, verse 6, which has come unto you as it is in all the world, 
that it bring forth fruit and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it knew the grace of God and truth. That's why Paul wants them to be established. So the gospel seed bears fruit. It grows from an acorn to a giant oak tree. That's the charge this morning. That's the charge. See, there are um, there are there are there are several things here in Colossians chapter two that show us what Paul's burden is in this great idea of establishing. In Colossians chapter two and verse seven, Paul says this: "Rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving." Do you know that everybody is rooted and built up in some sort of faith? Some sort of idea? Some sort of belief they're holding to? It is either the beliefs of the world that are self-centered and all about me and only about this life right now, or it is the first principles of Jesus Christ, and they are at odds with one another. You are either rooted and grounded in the lie of the world that it's all about me and all about this life just right now in these years I'm here. Or you are rooted and grounded in the first principles of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I want you to be rooted. I want there to be a concrete foundation in Jesus Christ. I want you to be established. And he says, I want you to be cemented in the principles of Christ. Of Christ. Because they are at odds with the world. Look at verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain or empty deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments, that's the idea of the foundational principles, foundational thoughts, the first principles of the world, and not after Christ. They're in conflict here. They can't coexist. Alright? It's all or nothing with these. You can't be on the fence. It is, it, is, it is the first principles of Christ that you're rooted in, or it's the first principles of the world, the foundational principles of the world that they operate their life by, or the foundational principles of Jesus Christ that we operate our life by. So Paul has a charge here that we be cemented in the principles of Christ. But secondly, that we be constructed in the principles of Christ. Notice that he says in verse 7, and built up in him. So not just to lay a foundation, just to have a foundation, but that foundation has a purpose, that there's a structure that's built up in your life. Structure, built up in Christ, okay? Um, uh, uh, and not to lay dormant, okay, I got a foundation, so... I mean, have you ever, in Jamaica, when we, when we had our missions trip, there was unfinished construction everywhere. And you could tell that it had been several years um, since that construction was begun and had ended. And it hadn't been finished. And so there was concrete stuff everywhere. Um, and, you know, uh, maybe a foundation had been laid, and, and, and that was it. Or maybe you drive by another place, and they have, you know, one or two walls up. Uh, and, and it was like that everywhere in, in, the, in the neighborhoods that we were in, away from some of the touristy parts uh, of Jamaica. There was an unfinished part to it. The foundation had been laid, but the building hadn't been finished. And Paul is not content. And the Holy Spirit is not content. And God the Father and the Son are not content if we're 
if we only have a foundation laid, but nothing rises out of that. There is to be a construction out of that foundation. And you can see, thirdly, uh, completed in the principles of Christ, completed in the principles of Christ, he says, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Established in the faith. That means to be established, strengthened, built up. Alright? So here's the result. If we have a foundation, and we have a structure, construction, then we are established. That's a picture of establishment. So cement, construction, completion. Completed in the principles of Christ. There's a goal here that we are working towards. Now here's the issue. We have a challenge before us. We have a challenge. Paul says, I desire to see every man presented to Christ faultless. <coughs> that means that we have to meet people where they are. Here's our community. All around us. The unsaved world. The unchurched world. As church growth people like to talk about. We could also say the de-churched world. People who have been apart and have fallen away. That's community. I shared with you last week um, some strategies, some frameworks for reaching them uh, through the gospel. And then this morning, even some additional truths here on, on the four G's uh, here. But that's, that, that is the world around us, all right? All around us. If you were in Christ at one point, you were a part of that world. Looting after the first principles of the world. Somebody reached out to you. That's a challenge. We have a community. Now we have our congregation in here. Our congregation, we don't assume, is made up of all believers. Jesus says many things in the Gospels about the unbelievers and believers, unbelievers putting on air and living to see. Living as a false believer. We have a congregation. Everybody in this room here is part of South Hope Congregation in that sense. Alright? You've joined us today. You may not be a member yet. I trust that you uh, you, you, you become a member. Uh, but but that's that's not... Uh, uh, but everybody here in the earshot of my voice here is, is in our congregation. So they come... People have come from the community to and, and been a part of our congregation. Even if you're just here for today, uh, you're part of that. Alright? Congregation. It's a little smaller circle. Right? But out of that, God wants to keep moving these circles tighter. Push you to more commitment. And hopefully, what I'm describing here as the committed are people who are members of our church. People who are growing. People who are uh, maturing. People who are uh, 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 are not all on the same level spiritually, but our compasses are set in the same direction. And we've made that commitment to join and partner together with the Lord Jesus Christ and this specific locale, South Oak Community Church. And thank you for, for, for our members committing. And I trust that if you are a member, you understand that it means that you are committed. It's not like a club. You show up on Thursdays to go bowling with or uh, 
the gun club on Friday, or the Elks, or whatever. Those are wonderful places, but I want to understand that it's more than that, right? Then, out of this, in this idea of establishment, God wants you to be more than just committed. He wants you to be lay ministers. Are you saying, Pastor, that God wants us all to be pastors? No. But He wants us to be ministry-minded people, looking for opportunities of ministry. For some of you, that ministry means your chainsaw. As you lay a life of good works and have opportunities to share through your chainsaw. Some of you, that might mean through a variety of other ways. I don't have any of those gifts, and I'm jealous of you that have those gifts and work with your hands and have mechanical minds and all those things. God can give me those gifts. I have other gifts, but not those. But God wants to produce in us a crop of nurturers. That's what I'm trying to say. Nurturers. People who are serious about seeing our congregation established in the faith. So that now it doesn't have to be suggested, hey, you know, you should check on so-and-so from the top. Or, hey, how's so-and-so doing? Have you checked in with them? But you do that of your initiative. That's what I'm talking about. Core people. Dependable people. So our lives of good works and our lives of, uh, of speaking the truth and love flow out of our own initiative. Not always have to be in pride or feeling like you have to do it because someone's so actually do it, right? That's the idea of core people. And we have a small group of core people in this church, but we want those circles to get bigger, don't we? You notice that middle one is the smallest one. But we want that to increase. Because those are the people who are established in the faith. Alright? They see it. They get it. They understand what God wants to do through the church. And they want to be a part of that. And they've laid out their lives to that. And does that mean they've arrived? No. But it means that they are they are committed to it and they are pushing toward that. And, and God is using them in very simple ways. And that's why Paul prays in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 that we be able to comprehend his plan. That we be strengthened with power in the inner man. And that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And then out of that, God would do exceeding abundant things more than we could even imagine. And that is the challenge to us. That's the challenge. What is the course? What is the course for establishing? I'm not going to tell you because we're out of time. <laughs> but I'm going to continue this series here on establishing. Uh, but I want you to understand that uh, God desires to do something in, through, in, in you and through you. And when I say you, I don't mean just you individually. I mean us all. Southfield Community Church. That's beyond what we can imagine and think. According to Ephesians 3, verse 21. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus... We have a great task before us. Lord, you are not uh, content and satisfied with um, each of us remaining at a certain point in our life. You want us to see us continue to go ahead. 
Lord, if we are not moving ahead and moving forward in our spiritual life and our ministry, then we are not growing. If we're not growing, we have some problems that we need to deal with in our lives. We have some repentance and faith that can get work in this one. Lord, I pray that this morning we would have grasped these two concepts that you desire to see us established in the faith. And that we would see the challenge before us as we move through people who have the gospel and people whose lives have been changed by the gospel in our conduct, in our thinking, in our renewing minds, to connect with the dying lost world around us, to live the hope of Jesus Christ. That's our challenge here. For those of us who just been mere observers for too long, Lord, I pray that uh, you would Stir within us a teachable spirit, a passion to accomplish what you wish to do through us. May we not be content. <coughs> Lord, if we're just mere observers, I church should be a miserable thing for us. But you made us to be reproducers spiritually, to share with others what we've been taught, what we're learning, what you've done in our lives. Not in a multiple way, but in strategic opportunities. Give us eyes to see those opportunities that you promised to bring our way frequently. Form us into your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.